0: As we have been studying through the book of Ephesians, I pray that it is becoming increasingly clear that God's word contains the answers for life. That God's word is the operating manual for life. God's word communicates to us about God himself. We saw in Sunday school this morning many scriptures regarding the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God's word contains for us multiple practical applications for how we live life. So we've been going through Ephesians and we've seen all the glorious doctrinal truths at the beginning of the book. And then in chapter four, it transitions and it says, now I beseech you, brethren, walk worthy of the calling with which you have been called. You've been called as the redeemed, as the chosen of God. Those who are sealed by the Holy Spirit. Those who are adopted into the family of God. Now walk worthy of this. This is who you are. Now walk according to the reality of who you are in Christ. And then, it's so glorious, the scriptures don't just give us do's and don'ts and then say, just do it. We don't have Nike swoosh in the Bible. It's not all about just do it. God graciously gives us multiple practical insights about how to do it. How to do it. And one of the big Key principles that we've seen in the book of Ephesians is the put off and put on principle. The scriptures tell us that we are to put off the old man in his deeds, our old manner of living, our old way of life. We're to put that aside, but it's not just about clearing out the old. We have to put on the new. We have to put on Christ. We have to put on the ways of Christ. And then the apostle by the Holy Spirit doesn't stop there and say that's all just Find good things to put on, but he breaks these down into detail for us. And he tells us things like in chapter four, that we're not to lie to one another, but we're to speak the truth. He says that we're not to steal, but those who stole are to work with their hands so they have something good to give. So you see, it's not just sweeping out the house, but it's filling it with goodness and truth. Well, as we work forward to our text today from chapter 5 and verse 18, that we're not to be drunk with wine, but we're to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you think the Word of God gives us everything that we need to know in order to battle against substance abuse? The answer is yes. The Word of God contains all the principles of godliness And the practical application that we need to know to understand how to battle against drunkenness or substance abuse, abusing any substance. We don't have to go to psychologists or psychiatrists to find out how to get this done. At the level of our heart and our choices and our desires and our affections and what we need to do to change those desires so that we can have self-control and overcome God gives us what we need in his word, and we're going to look at this today in detail by the power of the Holy Spirit. So our text for today, again, from Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18. And we'll read down through the end of the chapter. Ephesians chapter 5. In 17, if we jump back for a moment, therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And I can tell you emphatically every single time you don't have to pray about this. The will of the Lord is do not be drunk. It's never God's moral will. It's never appropriate for anybody to be drunk under any circumstances. And we'll talk about what that looks like and what that means. Do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the spirit. See the put off and put on again. Don't be drunk with wine. And then the consequences of drunkenness are mentioned in the dissipation, and we'll break this down. But then what's the put on? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then what does it look like to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Here's some characteristics. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and submitting to one another in the fear of God. First of all, do not be drunk with wine. I want to point out that this does not say here, do not drink wine under any circumstances. The command in Scripture is always don't be drunk, don't become intoxicated with any type of beverage. During the time the Bible was written, they didn't have distilled liquor like we have today, so the wine of that day wouldn't have been more than 10% alcohol content, but yet people could still become drunk on it. And very clearly, the Bible speaks about, and he uses, and I'm not going to go into great detail about this today, it's not what we have time for, but the Bible speaks both positively and negatively about wine. There are passages in the scripture that speak about plenteousness and harvest and the vats of wine overflowing as a symbol of a good harvest. In the Psalm, Psalms 104, God says that He has given oil and wine to make the heart glad. So wine in and of itself is spoken of both negatively and positively in the Bible. And there are some who have tried to read the scriptures to say that wine here is not speaking about alcoholic drink in any way, shape, or form. Well, I have a hard time getting drunk on grape juice, folks. (laughs) The fact of the matter is, it says don't be drunk with wine. And the Greek word here is oinos, the Latin is vinum. And I've done all the word studies, I've looked into the language studies, and this is talking about alcoholic wine, folks. As a matter of fact, back in that day and age, they didn't have refrigeration like we have now. They couldn't preserve grape juice for any period of time. So they would ferment the juice. They would make wine. And very often, though, in their common drinking of it, they would water it down so it was even less alcohol content than in its purer form. But the fact of the matter is, the scripture says, don't be drunk with wine. As we think about again, That wine is wine. Noah was drunk with wine, the scriptures say. And he was lying naked and uncovered. Lot, his daughters, got him drunk with wine, so he didn't even know what he was doing, and they committed incest with him. Okay? Jesus both created wine, and it wasn't grape juice, folks. He made wine. Again, it was the word for wine in the Bible, and the word for wine... Oinos always refers to alcoholic beverage. He made wine. Jesus drank wine when he partook of the supper with his disciples. And Jesus said that he would drink wine with them in the kingdom to come. And again, the word studies everything behind this, every evidence. This is wine. It was alcoholic beverage. So, in and of itself, the scripture does not condemn drinking wine, yet... There is this reality, do not be drunk with wine. And then the consequence of that, it says, in which is dissipation. Uh, Woost in his word study says this, be drunk is from the word methsuko. It means to get drunk or become intoxicated. Wycliffe in his translation speaks about being filled with wine. Vincent, in his word study, says a curious use of the word occurs in Homer. So looking at the Greek in the writings of Homer, where he is describing the stretching of a bull's hide, which in order to make it more elastic is soaked, Methusco, with fat. So the word, therefore, Woos goes on to say, refers to the condition of a person in which he is soaked with wine. He is soaked with wine. This is saying do not be drunk, do not be soaked with wine. Wine. Now, one point I want to make as well, that since the drunkenness is what is being forbidden, then any substance which would lead to that state of drunkenness would fit under this heading of don't be drunk with wine. It is saying do not allow these effects to take place because of The substance that you are ingesting, or we know it could be done in this day and age, you could shoot it up or whatever else. Smoke it, shoot it, whatever, right? It is forbidding the uh loss of control. And this is also seen as we look at the flip side, right? There's a there's a contrast in the parallel here. Don't be drunk with wine, but what? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Have the Holy Spirit directing you and controlling you. So, drunkenness refers to being filled, and it implies being controlled. And wine is not the only substance, of course, which causes such drunkenness. Now, another thing is, we look at, what does it look like to be drunk in this way? We're trying to decide, am I drunk or am I not drunk? Should I do this or should I not do this? Just, you know, as a wisdom principle, and I I preached a whole message on this subject uh, uh, probably about two years ago. As a wisdom principle, because the Bible gives many different warnings. Proverbs in chapter 21 talks about those who, they say, I've been struck down, but I don't know what hit me, and I'm staggering and all of these things. And who is this? This is one who lingers long over the wine. It's describing the adverse effects of that drunkenness and that loss of control and that that uh, state that it takes one into. One of the criteria for understanding this is what is said next in our text. It says it brings about dissipation. It brings about dissipation. What does this mean? Dissipation can be translated ruin or excess. Woost again in his word study says this. The word is excess. Asotia, it's from the word sozo, to save. And the literal meaning is unsavingness. This is the result or the consequence of this drunkenness, this unsavingness. What does that mean? He goes on to say... It has nothing of a saving quality about it, but rather a destructiveness. And the word as it's generally used, he says, expresses the idea of an abandoned, debauched, profligate life. So it's talking about this drunkenness and how it leads to destructive consequences. And we, we know that, don't we? We know that. Those who are drunkards, and I'm going to use the word, the biblical word drunkard and not alcoholic, because the word alcoholic today has a bunch of baggage attached to it, including oftentimes the idea that this is a disease, it's something that is controlling me from the outside, and it's something I've got to get some kind of treatment for, but it's not really my fault. Well, the fact of the matter is, drunkenness is based on choices, It's based on a choice to use these substances. In most cases, obviously you have alcohol fetal syndrome where you have little babies and their mothers are drunkards and the baby is affected negatively by that based on no choice of their own. But the reality is the scriptures put this in terms of a moral responsibility not to make the sinful choice to allow yourself To be put under the control of these substances. Which lead to ruin. Wow praise God. See because that gives us hope. Those who are struggling with this. Are not locked into an addiction. That they cannot affect or control. Or that God has no control or power over. This is a hopeful thing. God can work. And it's not just. That somebody's an alcoholic and they're going to be an alcoholic all their life and they're going to be in recovery. No, the scriptures say that you can be transformed. The scriptures say the identity can change not from being an alcoholic to one, but to one who is filled with the spirit and that this can be a life transforming work of the Holy Spirit. So this dissipation, here's the reality As we look at some things practically, if drinking or using substances leads to destructive consequences in the mind, body, and behavior, then it's sinful and it ought not to be done. So, what happens? Somebody goes on a binge or a bender and they can't remember what they did the night before. Wow. (laughs) What did I do the night before? Is there somebody out there that's pregnant and I don't even know it because of what I did the night before? Are there people out there that are hurt and beaten because of what I did the night before? You see, God does not want us to lose control like that so that we don't know what we're doing. Why? Because it destroys, it harms, it tears down. And it doesn't just destroy the person. The dissipation and the consequences of this affect multiple people, family members, loved ones. It destroys and it tears down, doesn't it? It destroys one's individual health. It lowers the inhibitions that God built into us. You know, it's it's the reality, isn't it? That even people who are atheists and they don't believe in any God and they don't believe in any moral absolutes they still have a general sense that they shouldn't go around Walmart biting people on the ankle. Right? <laughs> Why? Because God has built into them a conscience. But people can... Their conscience can be overcome by drunkenness to where they do the craziest things. Jump off the roof of the house thinking it's a swimming pool below. and splat on the ground. You know, name your example... God does not want us to be there. He doesn't want that to control us. He doesn't want us to lose control of our faculties and our reasoning and destroy ourselves. And this always ends up leading to much harm. Now, considering this, just a couple statistics, but people who have been touched by drunkenness and have known those who have been drunken know that there is much pain and suffering that comes from this in the long term. As, as you look at the statistics to this, I'm just going just gonna to quote a few. In the United States of America, nearly 88,000 people, approximately 62,000 men and 26,000 women, die from alcohol-related causes annually, making it the third leading preventable cause of death in the United States. In 2012, alcohol-impaired driving fatalities accounted for 10,322 deaths. That's 31% of overall driving fatalities, and that's, not, that's just fatalities. That's not people who have been injured and others who perhaps are disabled as a result. The economic burden. In 2006, alcohol misuse problems cost the United States $223.5 billion dollars. The global burden. In 2012, it's estimated that there were 3.3 million deaths, or 5.9% of all global deaths were attributed to alcohol consumption. Alcohol contributes to over 200 diseases and injury-related health concerns, such as alcohol dependence, liver cirrhosis, cancers, and injuries. In 2012, alcohol accounted for 5.1% of disability adjusted life years they have some statistics about college age persons 1,825 college students between the ages of 18 and 24 die from alcohol related unintentional injuries include motor vehicle 696,000 get that number 696,000 students between the ages of 18 and 24 are assaulted by another student who has been drinking. 97,000 students between the ages of 18 and 24 report experiencing alcohol related sexual assault or date rape, and those are only the ones reporting it. Uh, The Bible says this leads to ruin, it leads to destruction. Drunkenness is no laughing matter. You know, the reality of it is you've got Andy Griffith, right? And there's Otis and he lets himself in the jail and lets himself back out. And ha ha, it's a little bit funny. The fact of the matter is it's no laughing matter. Drunkenness is destructive. It destroys lives. Yeah, and people do crazy, stupid things and it might look funny for a little while. But just talk to any family member of a drunk. And it's not funny. Over time, it is not funny. It destroys, it breaks down. God speaks about it very seriously. But praise God, there's hope. There's hope for those who struggle with this. And there's warnings for those who don't to be very cautious in this area. Okay? Listen to this statement. I believe that it is a liberty in Christ To, in moderation, partake of alcoholic beverages. The scriptures teach that, as I've already outlined. But I can think of no other liberty that we have in Christ that has been more often abused and has led to such destructive consequences as this one. I can't think of anything else. I believe we have liberty in Christ to own weapons, and even carry concealed weapons. But when you compare the number of accidents or injuries caused by weapons, it doesn't compare to alcohol, ultimately. We have the liberty to drive vehicles. But when you think about the abuse of the driving of vehicles, ultimately the illnesses, the deaths, the widespread consequences aren't even close what happens on the road, and, the, and a high percentage of what happens on the road happens because of alcohol abuse, even. I can think of no other liberty that we have that, when abused, can lead to such destruction as this. Therefore, as a basic wisdom principle, if you are going to partake as a matter of your liberty, set clear bounds of moderation. Because here's the reality. How do you know how much you can handle? Only after you've partaken too much. Right? You know, you've got to reach a point and say, Oh, okay, wow, I think that was a little bit too much. How do you get there? You get there by taking too much. How do you know if you're the kind of guy, you know, in the movies, you know, you take back that one shot and you're, boom, passed out. Or, you know, if you can drink, you know, um, 10 of them and it hardly affects you. Only by doing it. Right? I mean, so, you see what I'm saying? I've had people tell me, Wow, boy, you know, I can't handle more than two or three beers. Well, my question is, how'd you find out? You see what I'm saying? Well, once the point you've found out, then you've sinned. Because God says, don't do it. And you've also put yourself at a place where you're at potential for great destruction and harm toward others. So, Set those clear bounds of moderation. And obviously, if this is something you're tempted towards, if you're tempted toward drunkenness, then you need to avoid it like the plague under any and all circumstances, right? Okay, well, that's the negative side of it. But praise God, he gives us the positive side of it. What do we do to fight against it? What do we do to encourage people that are struggling? Is there hope? Is this an unforgivable sin Boy, you just stay away from anybody struggling like this. Absolutely not. Fact of the matter is, we're all sinners. Fact of the matter is, we're every single one of us here are prone to addiction of some kind or the other. In the sense of being prone toward sinful attitudes or actions which dominate or control us. And that could even be pride. It could even be self-righteous pride. It could be anxiety. It could be whatever. Human beings are prone... Toward not being filled by the Spirit and controlled by the Holy Spirit, but toward being filled and controlled by sinful attitudes. So we don't point fingers here. We say there's hope and there's help. And we praise God for his word here. So what does our text go on to say? What's what is given as the put on? How do how does one think about and battle against drunkenness? It says, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. The word filled is plerao. It means to fill up, to cause, to abound, to furnish your supply liberally, to flood, to diffuse throughout. We see examples of people who are filled with the Holy Spirit. Look at Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6, and we see Stephen here, who is filled with the Holy Spirit. We see in verse 8, it says, Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. And then we know that he's taken before the council. And Stephen, as he is filled with the Holy Spirit, he speaks the truth boldly and he rebukes the people who are opposing Christ and opposing him. And they stone him to death, but he speaks the truth in love and he does this for the glory of God, even in the face of death. This morning, I looked up every instance in the scripture, and I'm not going to walk us through every single one of those, where in the English Bible it's translated that someone was filled with the Holy Spirit. And it was interesting some things that were noted here about being filled with the Spirit. One, several of those passages mentioned wisdom and understanding. There were those in Genesis that God filled with the spirit of wisdom and understanding so that they had great skills. Wisdom and understanding. Another thing that was common throughout, very common, is that when people were filled with the Holy Spirit, they spoke the truth and they spoke it boldly. They spoke the word of God. They spoke the word of God, spoke it boldly and in truth. Elizabeth... The mother of John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit and she spoke and proclaimed the truth and and the glories of Christ. When Mary was in her presence who had Jesus in the womb. Zachariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and he spoke of Christ and he proclaimed the glories of Christ to come. The Apostle Peter here was someone who had cowered and cursed before a servant girl. Because he was so afraid to be identified with Christ. But he stood up on Pentecost. And filled with the Holy Spirit. He proclaimed to over 3,000 people. That you with wicked hands crucified Christ. But God raised him from the dead. And people were saved. In Acts chapter 4. The followers of Christ are there and they've been told not to preach and proclaim the word of God. And there they are in a room together and and the Holy Spirit comes upon them and it says they proclaimed the word of God with boldness, with boldness. In our text here, what does it go on to say? The first thing that is said as a characteristic of being filled with the Holy Spirit, do you notice that? It says speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So what is a characteristic of being filled by the Holy Spirit? And I would propose as, as we consider those passages that I mentioned, as we consider this passage, that being filled by the Spirit is referring to being controlled by the Holy Spirit. And notice the contrast by way of parallel. It says, don't be drunk with wine, which brings about dissipation. What happens if one, someone is soaked by wine? They lose control. Of themselves, right? But if someone is filled with the Holy Spirit, then what takes place? They are under the control of the Holy Spirit. And there's an empowerment there of the Holy Spirit as well, as they're filled by the Spirit of God. But notice what it says. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then it says, first, firstly, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. If someone is filled with the Holy Spirit. One. Notice this. Speaking to one another. This is a context of corporate worship. If someone is filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they will want to be with the people of God. They will want to be a part of a local church. Speaking to one another. This is. Brother and sister in the Lord. Local church setting context here speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs what do we do we come together and we sing unto the lord but notice this this goes two ways doesn't it first of all what do we see speaking to one another in psalms and here it's spiritual songs and then singing and making melody in your heart to the lord you know i've said this before after we've sung some of these great hymns as you were singing this Were you encouraging your brothers and sisters in Christ unto this? You know, what if we're singing, Stand up, stand up for Jesus, you soldiers of the cross. We're encouraging one another to do that, aren't we? Or are we just mouthing the words, you know, but from the heart, what are we doing? We're saying, "Brother, sister in the Lord, stand up, fight for Jesus. You see, we encourage one another as we sing together. So there's that horizontal aspect of that, but then there's also the vertical, singing and making melody in our hearts to the Lord. You see, we're also directing this to the Lord and as we sing hymns of, about God and his greatness and his goodness and pleading with him to minister to us and, and use us for his glory, we're sending our prayers upward on the wings of the hymn. So a characteristic of being filled with the Spirit is is speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and singing and making melody in our hearts to the Lord. There's a joy there that's in this, right? We're going to look at the fruit of the Spirit in a moment. Those that are filled with the Spirit are joyful people. Joy in the Lord. What does the Bible say? The joy of the Lord is our strength. If we want strength to battle against drunkenness, we need the joy of the Lord to fight against this. So do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Those who are filled with the Holy Spirit will be thankful people. They will be thankful. If we're controlled by the Spirit of God, it will result in joy. It will result in a thankfulness like we talked about. And we saw in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16, that we are to, in everything, in every circumstance, give thanks because it's the will of God for us. If we're filled, if we're filled with, empowered by the Holy Spirit, we can give thanks no matter how difficult our circumstances we can have joy in the midst of it all and you know what if someone is unthankful it burdens them down and one of the reasons that people turn to substances is because they're burdened because they're sorrowful their hearts are not filled with joy or thankfulness and so they seek the relief that that substance brings them in order to find joy to be able to cope, to be able to wash away for a moment the hardships that they faced in life. You see, God presents a better way. A better way. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Thankfulness in the Lord. God wants us to be happy. <laughs> he wants us to be filled with joy. He wants us to be so happy and so joyful that people are looking at us like you're crazy how could you be so happy and joyful in the midst of this and is this a good thing how how many people how many of you here want to be happy do you want to be happy or do you want to be miserable you know um yeah we're faced with that choice you know and hey i've been there i've been there you know where i'm in that funk and i'm like Okay, Lord, I know your word and I preach it, you know, regularly. And I know that if I'll just devote myself to it here right now and I can find my joy in you, but I don't want to. And then I stop and think sometimes that's stupid. That is just stupid. Why would I not want to be joyful? Why would I not want to be thankful? Thankful. It's because I've got sin in my heart and I don't want to give it up. Or it's because I know that it's going to take some work to find my joy in the Lord. It's going to take some work and maybe I'm being lazy and I don't want to work. But the fact of the matter is, praise God, he wants us to be joyful in him. And he wants us to do this by being thankful, as it says here. And thankful in all things. What does that mean? What's our responsibility in this? It means to look for things to be thankful for. And you know what? We can all find hundreds of thousands of things to be thankful for, if not millions. And it can be as simple as, praise God for those little glowing globes that are right there. And so I can see my computer screen too, because it's got LED backlights. Praise God. It can be that all the way to praise you, God, for Christ Jesus who came And faced your wrath and died. So that I could be saved and brought into your family. We have so much to be thankful for. Do we want to? (laughs) See we want to try and find our joy. In other places. And those that are. Those that that try and find their joy in drunkenness. In substances. They are trying to use that thing. To find peace and to find joy. But you know what they find out? They think that they can use it. But it turns on them like a wild beast. And it ends up enslaving them. That's what happens. I I don't know of anyone out there. Maybe there is some rare instance. Somebody out there who goes into abusing substances thinking this thing is going to dominate me and make me absolutely miserable and destroy my life. Not many people do. Most people go in and they say, I can control this, I can use it to get what I want out of it. And then they begin to start lying to themselves and start saying, I can leave this anytime I want to. But all the while, like a giant constricting serpent that thing is coiling itself around them and beginning to squeeze the life out of them but what we're talking about here now is how to fight that snake and it's by being filled with the holy spirit filled with the holy spirit thankfulness giving thanks always for all things to god the father In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice this also. It says submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. Those who are full of the spirit will be humble. They won't be proud. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Those who are filled with the Holy Spirit. Will battle against pride. And the Holy Spirit will help them not to be proud. And they will then. Be submissive to those who are in authority. Those who are being filled with the Holy Spirit. Are not going to despise the police officer out there doing his job day in and day out. Sure, we know there are bad cops out there, but some people look at cops because they hate authority and they speak poorly about them. Those who are filled with the Holy Spirit recognize that's a God given authority, and I have to respect that. Those that are filled with the Holy Spirit will respect the authority of the leadership in their nation. And even if they disagree with them, they're going to speak the truth, but there will be a respect behind that. Those that are filled with the Holy Spirit, children will respect their parents and honor their parents. Those who are filled with the Holy Spirit will respect the leadership in the local church that God has established for people's goods. Wives who are filled with the Holy Spirit will respect and honor their husbands. Believers in the body of Christ who are filled with the Holy Spirit will respect and honor one another and they'll be willing to give way if there's a dispute and they can compromise in a way that would bring glory to God by promoting peace. This is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. And these are characteristics of those who are filled by the Spirit. Now, I want want to... Walk us through a couple of texts here, and I want you to follow this this thread that God gives us in his word for just a minute. Our text here says, don't be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the spirit. And then it gives some characteristics of what it looks like to be filled with the spirit. Look over at Colossians chapter 3, and Brent read this for us this morning. Colossians chapter 3. There's a parallel passage here in Colossians, and it's fascinating to note what it says. Let's start tying all of this together. Colossians chapter 3. In verse 14... But above all these things, put on love. Love is a fruit of the spirit, right? We're going to go to Galatians next. Put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts. To which also you were called in one body and be thankful. Notice these words, love, peace, thankfulness, fruit of the spirit, right? Let the word of Christ, here's the parallel verse. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. And then what does it say? Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. You notice that last part and how that's parallel with our text in Ephesians? So what is the parallel concept here with being filled with the Holy Spirit In Ephesians, we see be filled with the Holy Spirit. What does it say here in Colossians that we are to be filled with or let dwell in us richly? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. Now, think with me for a moment. It's fascinating to me in our text in Ephesians. What does it say? It says be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that filling there is, in the Greek, it's it's in the form that means be, be regularly, constantly filled. It's a continuing action, not a one-time event. A continuing action. But notice what it says. It's saying this to you and I. Be filled. What does that indicate? This is an imperative. It's something God is telling us that we have a part in. It's not... It's not saying here that this is something that we just kind of sit back, let go and let God and God is going to somehow do to us on occasion. This text is in the context of an imperative and it's telling us to be regularly, constantly, continuously filled with the Holy Spirit. So that means we have a responsibility. But then we ask ourselves, well, how can I do that? Isn't that up to God and his sovereign will? Well, yes, ultimately, God's in charge. I'm not denying that for a second. But as we look back, and I'll take us back to Colossians. I'm going somewhere with this. If we look back to Ephesians for just a moment. Keep your finger in Colossians. In Ephesians, and we've already seen this. In chapter four and verse twenty nine, it says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. What does it say there? Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Now God is going to do what God wants to do. I preached that over the past two weeks. Ultimately, God will do everything that he wants to do. But can we grieve the Holy Spirit? Yes, we can. 1 Thessalonians and chapter 5 says not to quench the Holy Spirit. Does that mean there are things that we can do? And God, in his sovereign will and workings, has determined that if we do, we will quench the work that the Holy Spirit does has begun or is doing. Yes. Yes. And you see how this ties in with that imperative that we're to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So, first of all then, if we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, we need to make sure that we're not grieving or quenching the Holy Spirit. How do we grieve and quench the Holy Spirit? It's by our sinful attitudes and actions. It's by not loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving our neighbor as ourselves. So the first thing, if we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and I hope I hope you all want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We have to not grieve the Holy Spirit and quench the Holy Spirit. That means we need to be repenting of sin. We need to repent of our sin. If you're not saved here today, the power of the Holy Spirit to help you overcome the struggles and battles in your life, if you're not saved, you haven't yet. Taken that first step toward being able by the power of God to do these things. The first step is repenting of sin. Acknowledging that God is holy and that you have sinned against the holy God. That you've committed sins. You've lied and you've cheated and you've harmed other people. And confessing that and saying the only way that I can be made right with God is through faith trusting in the work that Jesus did to pay the price for my sins. I'm going to rest in Jesus. And then he gives the Holy Spirit to his people. First Corinthians chapter 12, they're baptized in the Holy Spirit. And that happens when you're saved. You have the Holy Spirit to enable you and empower you after the Lord does that work in your heart. But then as believers, we can quench or grieve the Holy Spirit by our sin, by our sin. And so we need to be regularly confessing sin. We're going to partake of the Lord's table. And as part of that, the scriptures say we're to examine ourselves. We're to confess our sins unto God. We're to recognize the forgiveness that we have in Christ. Well, again, God says, be filled with the Holy Spirit we can quench or greed, the Holy Spirit. That means we have a responsibility in this. Now let's tie that back in with Colossians. 316. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. We have a responsibility to immerse ourselves in the Word of God, to be filled with the Word of God. Psalm 119, verse 11 says, Thy word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee, O God. I've hidden the word in my heart that I might not sin against God. We're to let the word of Christ, the word of God dwell in us. Believers are to be controlled by the word of God. We're to know this. We're to know this. If if you are not in the word, If you're not studying the word, if you don't love the word, then you're not going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You won't be filled with the Holy Spirit in the sense of our text and what it's speaking of. You can't expect God to bless you by filling you with the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're not letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly. (laughs) If you're not loving and studying the word. But God meets us in his word. The Holy Spirit illuminates the word to us, turns on the light bulb, so we can understand the significance and the the glory and the meaning of it. So we can have this wisdom and understanding. So, don't quench or grieve the Holy Spirit. Confess sins unto the Lord in a sincere heart. Desire to walk in a living relationship with God. Desire to have the Holy Spirit Controlling and dominating our thinking and our lives in His Word and by being filled with His Word. With His Word. Some people have wrong ideas of the filling of the Holy Spirit today. And, you know, a pastor will walk around on a stage and the Holy Spirit supposedly falls upon him and he starts going blah, 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 click, click, click. Yabba Dabba Doo, praise God, the Holy Spirit fell upon me. No. No. If a minister stands up and preaches the word accurately from a heart that is in love with the Lord and desires for God to use the word, then that's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. God's word going forth. And we have the promise that God says his word will not return to him empty. He'll accomplish the purpose he desires for. Praise God. We're to be filled with the spirit and let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. Now this being filled with the spirit has another parallel concept and that is walking in the spirit. Look at Galatians chapter five. Walking in the spirit. Those that are filled with the Spirit are going to walk in the Spirit. Filled in the Spirit, again, means controlled, our life controlled and dominated by the power of the Holy Spirit. Through the Word of God, as we've seen in Colossians, and letting the Word of God dwell in us richly, and that will result in us walking in the Spirit. What is walking? That's our conduct. That's the way that we live. It will result, then, in our lives conforming, To God's will for us in his word. And we'll start living it out. We'll start living it out. If you want to know if somebody is filled with the spirit. One of the evidences of that. Is that they are living in godliness and righteousness. They're walking in the ways of the Holy Spirit. Okay. You see how practical this is. It's so practical. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16, I say then, walk in the spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Is drunkenness a lust of the flesh? Yes, it is. If you're walking in the spirit, you can battle against drunkenness. And you won't fulfill that lust of the flesh. These two are contrasted with one another. If you are filled with the Holy Spirit and walking in the Holy Spirit, you will not be drunk. You will not commit sexual immorality. You will not be lying to people around you. You will not be stealing and cheating. You will not be going into Walmart and biting people on the ankle. Right? Look at this again then. I say, walk in the Spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. These are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. That condemnation of the law is not against you. The fruit of the Spirit, there is no law opposing any of the fruit of the Spirit. Now the works of the flesh are evident. These are contrary to the work of the Holy Spirit. The works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, So here are all these things that people living out these sinful desires of the flesh and not filled with the spirit are doing. Sexual immoralities and unlovingness and unkindness toward others. This one's interesting. Heresies. Some people say, oh, doctrine's not an issue. We don't preach doctrine here. We just teach practice. Well, this says that people who are opposing the Holy Spirit and walking in the flesh, that they oftentimes are heretics. And that heretics are in opposition to the Word of God. We need to be good theologians, folks. We need to be good theologians. We need to know what the Scriptures say is truth and what is not, and what is heresy. Envy, murders, drunkenness. See that? Drunkenness. Revelries. That's drunken parties and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. you see how serious this is? Oh, this is life and death. Those that are living in sexual immorality will not inherit the kingdom of God. They will die and go to hell. Those who are engaged in idolatry or witchcraft they will not inherit the kingdom of God if they remain in that, if this is the practice of their life. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has not worked. He's not worked in their life or heart. Those who go through life justifying drunkenness and living in drunkenness. And listen, folks, I'm not saying it. That's what God says. This is what God says says they will not inherit the kingdom of God. They will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit. What does it look like if someone's filled with the Spirit? That means they're letting the word of God dwell in them richly. And then they're going to be walking in the Spirit, which means their life and conduct is going to be doing that which is pleasing to God. And what fruit will be the result of that walking in the Spirit? Here are those things. You see that chain there through the scriptures as we're putting this together? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, which means patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. If we've been crucified with Christ and the Holy Spirit is ours, then Walk in it, like the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, I beseech you now to walk worthy of the calling with which you're called. Do you see all these connections? Walk in the Spirit. What does that mean then? Somebody says, oh, it's just this mystical thing, and I've somehow just got to empty myself, and God's going to fill me. Well, according to all of this, there are very practical ways in which God instructs us how to be filled with the Spirit and what that looks like and what we're supposed to do. We're commanded to walk in the spirit. What does that look like? That looks like being loving toward those around us. Which means giving and not taking. It means healing and not biting and devouring and consuming and destroying, right? It means finding our joy in Christ. It means delighting ourselves in the Lord. And looking to Him, it means peace. That's a practical peace. It means we're not striving against one another, but we're promoting peace. And it's also a personal peace that we have before God. It means kindness, reaching out in love and touching people in love. Goodness, doing those things which are pleasing to the Lord. Faithfulness, not unfaithfulness, in our relationships with God and with other people. That gentleness and that self-control. And there is no law against these things. You see, that's what it looks like be filled with the Spirit. Those things in our lives. And think about this. If somebody is abusing substances or if they have some other type of addiction as it's commonly caused, something that they're trying to use to find some sort of peace in their life or some sort of of control in their life, How do you combat that? It's by being filled with the Spirit. What does that look like? What does that look like? It looks like loving the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbors. Those that are are addicts and need to be instructed from the Word of God, and it needs to be the Word, and they need to be filled with the Word, They need to be told, you've got to stop loving yourself. What you're doing in using this is, it's flowing out of a love for self. You're trying to use this and now you've gotten trapped in it. You thought you could use it for your own purposes and now it's bound you. And you've done this because you're selfish. Because you're not loving God or loving people around you. And so you need to find your love for God. You need to love Him and learn what that looks like to love Him. And you need to put into practice love for others around you. One of the things is you've got to ditch the substances. It's not loving for you to be like this because it brings destruction and ruin. Tears apart relationships. Joy. Maybe you went to the booze because you were sorrowful and you're trying to find joy in your life. And for a while, this thing gave you some joy in your life. But now, what's happened? You see, if someone is controlled or consumed by this, now they're realizing, you know what, it's not bringing me the joy that I thought it would. It's led to harm and destruction. So, what needs to be done? Finding our joy in the Lord. Finding our joy. In Christ, and our identity in Christ, who we are as a a believer in Christ, true joy in the Lord. Peace. Well, I just want peace. There's always strife and conflict in my home. So what do I do? I, I go and get drunk because there's no peace. God has a better way. He has a better way. The peace that passes all understanding as we make our requests known unto him, right? Patience, kindness, goodness. You see, we can walk down through each one of these. Those who are drunkards will have an aspect of of these where they were trying to find some type of fulfillment or satisfaction outside of God in his ways rather than finding it in Christ. Christ. And in the ways of God. And if they can learn, if they can discover at the heart level what those discontentments, those sins are, then the Word of God can be applied. And they can learn by the power of God to be filled with the Spirit and walk in the Spirit and manifest the fruit of the Spirit. And in all this, our greatest example is none other than Jesus Christ. Jesus was filled with the spirit in his life, was he not? The spirit was upon him. And what did that look like? As he's tempted in the wilderness and Satan is trying to trip him up. And Satan says, turn these stones into bread because Jesus hadn't eaten in 40 days. What did Jesus do? He was filled with the spirit. What did he do? He proclaimed the word of God. <laughs> and he says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Right? Jesus, as he's filled with the Holy Spirit in boldness, he has no fear of men. In boldness, Jesus proclaims the truth in love. Jesus, who is filled with the Holy Spirit and is physically distressed to a point that many of us have never been or couldn't even consider. And there in the garden, he's wrestling. Is there any other way? But what is Jesus filled with the Spirit? What is his attitude ultimately in his proclamation? Thy will, O God, be done. And the scriptures say that for the joy that was set before him, the joy that was set before him, the joy (laughs) He endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus shows us what it looks like to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And today, as we consider the Lord's Supper, we are remembering the work